Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.podomatic.com. Hello, everyone. It's time for Luke's English Podcast again. Now, let's get straight to the point. What's this episode about? Well, uh, this one is about the King's Speech, uh, the movie, The King's Speech. And uh, you're going to listen to an interview uh, about the film. And then I'm going to teach you some really useful phrases and idioms uh, using the word mouth or the word tongue. Okay, now I'll explain that. That will become clear to you uh, in due course. Uh, but for now, that's what you can expect. Uh, interviews, like a genuine interview, authentic uh, listening practice, and then some really useful idioms and phrases. Okay, right. Now, this episode is uh, the first uh, episode in a series of two about movies. Um, the movies in question are The King's Speech and 127 Hours. Now, if you like films, if you follow movies, if you've been, uh, for example, f- if you followed the Oscars ceremony this year, then you'll know that both of those films were nominated. Uh, the King's Speech uh, won four awards, uh, including an award for Best Director and another award for Best Actor. Uh, for Colin Firth, uh, for his role as King George the Sixth, um, 127 Hours didn't win any awards, which I was quite surprised about, because I thought it was a brilliant film. I really loved it. Um, I loved the King's Speech as well, but I, in a way, I think that I preferred 127 Hours. Now uh, I'm going to talk about 127 Hours in the next episode, so I'll, I'll leave that until later. I'll talk about it a little bit here, but mainly I'm going to leave that till later. Um, So now I think those two films actually have something in common. Obviously, they both uh, won. They they were both nominated uh, at the Academy Awards this year, but also because both of those films feature stories about um, uh, individuals who had to deal with very, very tough challenges in their lives. and uh, it's, they're about acts of um, bravery and courage in the face of difficult challenges. Um, now, I don't know if you are familiar with uh, the story for the King's Speech. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, I've seen the, I, I saw the King's Speech. Um, I got about an hour into the film before I realised it's not about a peach. Yeah, now that was a joke. Okay, you might not have noticed it, so let me say it again, just to give you a fighting chance. Okay, now I watched the King's Speech. That's right. Um, in fact, I got about an hour into the film before I realised that it's not about a peach. Yeah, now it's not a very good joke, really. So if you're not laughing, that's all right. If you are laughing, nice one, good for you. Um, but if you're not laughing, that's all right because it's you know quite a bad joke, really. Let me explain the joke. Okay. Uh, the joke basically goes, uh, the king's the king's speech. 
Now, if you say that quickly, the king's speech, it sounds a bit like the king's peach. Obviously, peach is a fruit, isn't it? The king's peach. Yeah, the king's speech, the king's peach. It sounds quite similar. So I watched the, the king's speech and I, I was surprised that it wasn't about a peach. I was expecting it to be about a peach. It's not really a very good joke, so never mind. Forget about it. Um, anyway, I saw the King's Speech. I thought it was fantastic. So if you don't know the story, basically, um, it's, about, um, it's a true story about King George VI, who was the King of Britain. Um, he became the king um, at just before the, the, the beginning of World War Two. Now, um, basically, George VI suffered from a very, very strong stammer. A stammer is a kind of speech problem or a speech impediment, which means that you have trouble speaking um, easily. Or, uh, so it, if you look at the Cambridge uh, Advanced Learner's Dictionary, it says that to stammer, as a verb, means to speak or say something with unusual pauses or repeated sounds, either because of speech problems or because of fear and anxiety. So, for example, it's like when you go stammer, like that. I thank you, for example, right? Uh, so that's to stammer. So... Uh, King George VI it suffered from a very bad stammer and, uh, and as a result of a terrible lack of confidence. Now, in the movie, he, uh, and in, in real life, in fact, he couldn't speak in public as it caused him to stutter or stammer uncontrollably, which caused him total shame and embarrassment to everyone, to himself and to everyone. So, for example, when he addresses the public, it's a shocking and disappointing failure on a national level. Um, at the beginning of the film, you see him trying to talk to a stadium full of people uh, to announce, uh, to make a very important announcement. But because of his stammer, because of his speech impediment, he can't even um, say a sentence without stammering a lot. And it's, it, it's obviously so embarrassing and, and so disappointing for him and for everyone else that... Um, as a, a future king, that's kind of a real problem. So, um, and this this happened in a time when people were not sympathetic to someone with speech problems. And uh, in a king, it would have been a huge sign of weakness. Um, he, you know, he can't speak in public, and yet he has to become the king. And, and um, he's going to be the figurehead of his country when it needs him most, right at the beginning of World War Two. Now the country needed a strong king at that time in order to inspire confidence uh, in, in the people in their struggle against a ruthless enemy, right? Obviously it's very important for the country if you're king when speaking to everyone to try and inspire them to be confident. If that king has a, a sort of authoritative, confident, um, uh, secure sounding voice and if the king can't even string a sentence together, it's not going to do very good things for the kind of morale of the people. Um, so this was at the time as well when radio technology had recently been introduced. Um, now, this allowed um, 
the king to speak directly to his uh, people in their own homes over the radio. So the importance of a clear, confident and unbroken voice was really huge. Um, but for, for George VI, the, the prospect of even a small roomful of people caused him to stutter and stammer uncontrollably. So, it, you know, it would take massive courage and strength to overcome such a severe speech impediment in order to address his country's people when they needed him most. But with the help of a speech therapist whose name was Lionel Logue, he did it and he became um, an important voice of strength and security for the British people during the war. It was very, very difficult for him, and you see this in the movie, very, very difficult for him to deal with his, um, his lack of confidence and his speech problem. Um, and actually, he managed to do it, and he managed to become quite an inspiration to uh, people during the war. Um, so it's an amazing story. Um, now, um, what you're going to listen to next is a... Um, an interview with a, a genuine stutterer, so or a, a stammerer. I apologise. I think I think stammer and stutter, um, although in the dictionary they're defined in the same way. I think that some people prefer to use the word stammer, and others uh, prefer to use the word stutter. Um, certainly, the the man in the interview here uses the word stammer. Um, so let's go with that. Let's use the word stammer instead of stutter which in the dictionary is a synonym of stammer. So we're using the word stammer. So let me just briefly tell you about the man that you're going to listen to. His name is, I believe his name is Lee's uh, Geddes. Lee's Geddes. And uh, he's on YouTube. Um, his channel is called Speaking Out Too. Um, and uh, I believe that he works for the stammering the British Stammering Association, which is a national charity, and it's run by people who stammer, and it's run for the benefit of anyone whose lives are affected by stammering. Um, so it's, it's obviously a very important charity which helps people who suffer from a, a stammer, and in particular, they, they, uh, as a charity, they help children who are born with stammers, uh, to overcome their problem, um, which then allows them to, to kind of operate um, easily in society and, and work, you know, in jobs and, and help the economy and, uh, and help to have, um, you know, fruitful lives. Uh, if you have a stammer, uh, then that can make your life extremely difficult. Um, so charities like uh, the British Stammerers, that the British Stammering Association are obviously very important for, for people who suffer from this. So you're going to listen to this man who works for the British Stammering Association talking about the King's Speech and talking about how important this film is for, for the people in the world who suffer from stammers. Um, so now, let's see, let's see, let's see. So what I've, what I've done is um, I've prepared some questions and um, I'm going to ask you those questions in advance. So, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see, okay. Right, so I've got 14 questions. Now, you will be able to read these questions on the website. If you go to 
teacherluke.podomatic.com um, and find uh, the relevant part of the website for this podcast, you'll be able to read these questions. So I recommend that you do that, that you have the questions with you so that you can kind of use them as a way of um, kind of focusing your attention on this um, this bit of audio that you're about to hear. So let me, let me now just go through the questions with you. And uh, if you can print them or look at them on the screen, that will help. Uh, but otherwise, you'll just have to try and remember the questions that I'm reading. So question one, how many high-profile stammerers have we had in the UK since George VI died in 1952? Right, that's quite a long question. How many high-profile stammerers have we had in the UK since George VI died in 1952? High-profile means kind of famous or, or widely known, right? Um, high, so how many high-profile stammerers have we had in the UK since George VI died in 1952 question one right number number two question two how many decent films about stammerers have there been how many decent films about stammerers have there been okay right now uh question three how have stammerers been shown in films right how have how have stammerers been shown in films Meaning, how have they been represented in movies? How have stammerers been shown in films? Question four. What does the King's Speech show people who don't stammer? Right? What does the King's Speech show people who don't stammer? So, what can people who don't stammer learn from the King's Speech? What does this movie show people who don't stammer? Right? Um, number five. Um, is the film historically accurate? Is the film historically accurate? So historically accurate means accurate uh, to real history. So does it really tell the truth about what actually happened? Is it accurate in terms of its history? Is it historically accurate? So is the film historically accurate? Um, now, number six, what do we know about stammering now? Right. What do we know about stammering now? OK, question seven. Was the stammer now uh, was was King George the sixth's stammer caused by something that happened in his childhood? So was his stammer caused by something which happened in his childhood? OK, uh, number eight. How did his family and staff deal with George's stammer? So his, his staff just means the people who worked for him. Uh, so how did his family and staff deal with George's stammer? OK. Um, and uh, number nine, how did this make him feel? How did this make him feel? How did this make him feel? OK. Number 10, with today's knowledge, what's the best way to help people with stammers? Okay, with today's knowledge, uh, what is the best way to help people with stammers? So that's basically with the information we know now about stammers, uh, what is the best way to help people with stammers? Okay, uh, question 11 What did George VI's therapist do? Which the mm -hmm. what did George VI's therapist do? 
which the speaker's therapist didn't do. So we're talking about the therapist of George VI and the therapist of the man speaking in the interview. So what did George's therapist do, which um, the interviewee's therapist didn't do? Okay, uh, number 12. What made George VI a difficult client? What made George VI a difficult client? So why was George VI a difficult client for his speech therapist? Okay, uh, number 13. What will the king's speech do for stammerers and non-stammerers? What will the king's speech do for stammerers and non-stammerers? Okay. And finally, question 14. What is the danger about the near future? Okay. What's the danger about the near future? Okay. Right. So those are your 14 questions. Now you can listen to the um, interview with a stammerer a man who works for a charity uh, in support of stammerers all over the world. And he's talking about the King's Speech. Here you go. Hello. I have a stammer. Uh, there hasn't been a really high-profile stammer in the UK uh, since King George VI died in 1952, a very long time ago. Nor has there been a decent film featuring someone who stammers. Generally speaking, we have been uh, shown as... <laughs> figures of fun. Ha ha. As a result of this and many other inaccuracies, very few people know anything much about stammering. But now at last we have in the King's Speech a potentially Oscar-winning film which shows people who don't stammer how life can be if you do. And Colin Firth does an incredibly realistic job of conveying how it is to be stuck in a block with no control over your speech, part of the audience staring at you and part staring at the ground. No film has ever done that before. So it should be very helpful in terms of creating some greater understanding between stammerers and non-stammerers. But we need to remember that the action takes place about 75 years ago, so it is history. From what we know, it's a fairly realistic reenactment of what was going on at that time. Things are different now, of course. We know that stammering is a symptom of a condition in which the brain's neural circuits for speech have not wired normally. So the king would have been born with a neural propensity to stammer. It wasn't caused by some deep-rooted psychological problem. His character and behaviour would have been powerfully affected by this inability to say what he was trying to say, not vice versa. And it's quite interesting, there was a research exercise on at about the same time, which has come to be known as the Monster Study, in which a group of orphan children were cruelly encouraged to stammer. At the end of the exercise, none of them grew up stammering, but several of them developed psychological problems. Of course, speech therapy techniques have changed considerably. And when he was a child, um, stammering was thought to be a defect 
so the future king was corrected and even punished by his family and staff, which made him very self-conscious and tense about speaking, and that surely would just made him, have made his stammering even worse. Today, where it is available, and it's not available everywhere, early intervention allows the vast majority of those very young children at risk of persistent stammering to talk fluently for the rest of their lives. Some adults do find ways to control their speech, but there is still, still no cure. The king continued to stammer, but as we see in the film, Loeb helped him to control his stammering when he was making formal speeches. I must say, though, that the last time I went to see a speech therapist, she didn't encourage me uh, uh, to swear. Um, but then I'm not a king, you understand. Um, and that really is the main point of this film. It was how Lionel Loeb found a way to form a relationship with a client whose upbringing had made him reluctant to discuss anything personal. As stammerers, we are not ideally equipped to stand up and change so many misconceptions, but we need to try. The King's Speech will give stammerers and non-stammerers a kind of a permission to talk to each other. It will be the greatest opportunity I've ever seen for this often embarrassing subject to be discussed openly and on such a broad scale. So for all our sakes, please grasp it with both hands, talk about it. But remember that the opportunity will only last for a short while. After that, there is a danger that stammering will slip back into being inaudible and invisible. We don't want that to happen. So if you feel you'd like to help, please stay tuned. But in the meantime, I'd just like to say thank you for listening. OK, there you are. I wonder if you noticed him stammering sometimes. Um, occasionally he would struggle to uh, produce some words uh, but for the most part he was very fluent and very clear uh, to understand uh, even if perhaps the recording quality wasn't perfect but when is the recording quality ever perfect? Um, it's, it's not very common and I'm sure that you'll agree that um, getting practice of listening to uh, a recorded voice uh, like that is very good practice for you as learners of English since nowadays we communicate more and more with people um, through technology um, using Skype or um, video conferencing or just on the telephone. It's obviously very good practice for you to listen to uh, people whose voice has been recorded uh, using technology. I think it's, uh, it's very good practice. You shouldn't just rely on listening to someone uh, in kind of perfect audio conditions because that's very rare in the real world. Okay, so did you get answers to the questions um, that I'd asked you about that interview? Let's see, shall we? Now I'm going to just go through those questions and give you the answers and we'll listen to small samples of the interview uh, again so that you can just double check that you, that you understood. Um, okay, so the first question was... How many high-profile stammerers have we had 
in the UK since George VI died in 1952? Well, here is the answer. Hello. I have a stammer. Uh, there hasn't been a really high-profile stammer in the UK uh, since King George VI died in 1952, a very long time ago. So the answer is there haven't been any high-profile stammerers. He said there hasn't been a high-profile stammerer in the UK since George VI died in 1952. So George VI was the last really high-profile stammerer that we've had in the UK. There's been a few celebrities here in the UK. There was a singer called Gareth Gates who um, had a stammer and he famously had therapy and became a really clear speaker. But he's not that high-profile um, certainly not in the same league as uh, King George VI. But now, with this movie, uh, we have, again, the subject of uh, stammering back on the agenda um, in terms of um, in the media and um, in popular culture. Right, so the, the, here's the second question. How many decent films about stammerers have there been? And here is the answer. Nor has there been a decent film featuring someone who stammers. Nor has there been a decent film featuring someone who stammers. So the answer is, um, is that there have been no decent films about stammerers. Um, so there you go. Nor, so he says there, there hasn't been anyone, uh, there hasn't been any high profile, there haven't been any high profile stammerers in the UK since George VI, nor has there been... Um, nor have there been any decent films about stammerers either. Okay, right. Question three is how many stammerers, how have stammerers been shown in movies? Generally speaking, we have been uh, shown as figures of fun. Generally speaking, we have been shown as figures of fun. So figures of fun. So kind of like just basically people to laugh at. Comedy characters, figures of fun. Ha ha. As a result of this and many other inaccuracies, very few people know anything much about stammering. Question four. What does the King's Speech show people who don't stammer? And here is your answer. Right now, at last, we have in the King's Speech a potentially Oscar-winning film which shows people who don't stammer how life can be if you do. Well, it shows people who don't stammer how life can be if you do stammer, right? So it shows people how life can be if you have a stammer, right? which is very important. We, we, we need to know uh, what uh, the experiences are of people who have stammers uh, in order to try and um, you know, understand their problem and help them deal with it. Question five, is the film historically accurate? Is it historically accurate? Here's the answer. But we need to remember that the action takes place about 75 years ago. So it is history. From what we know, it's a fairly realistic reenactment of what was going on at that time. The answer is yes, because he says that it's a realistic reenactment of what was going on at the time. Realistic means it's like it's real. So it was a realistic reenactment. A reenactment is a um, like a... Um, when some, something from history is kind of played again, um, a reenactment. So he said it's a realistic reenactment. Question six, what do we know about stammering now? Here's the answer. Things are different now, of course. 
we know that stammering is a symptom of a condition in which the brain's neural circuits for speech have not wired normally. Yeah, so we know that we know now that stammering is a symptom of a condition in which the brain's neural circuits for speech have not wired normally. Right. So symptom we know is just like one part of a uh, uh, one aspect of a physical problem. Just like, for example, when you have a cold, a symptom would be to have a cough. Right. Uh, remember a previous podcast about being sick, being ill. Well. Um, Go back to that one and you can find lots of vocabulary about symptoms and stuff. But he said it's a symptom of a condition. A condition is a kind of, um, a bit like an illness, let's say, uh, a condition in which the brain's neural circuits, so your neural circuits are basically like the sort of electrical circuits, the nerve circuits in your brain, right? So the brain's neural circuits for speech have not wired normally. So if something is wired, you know, like the way we use metal wires to uh, connect uh, electrical items together in our home. If they're not wired properly or what not wired normally, then those electrical products won't work in the normal way. So in this, he's saying that now we know that a stammer is caused by kind of nerve problems, um, electrical ner nerve problems in the brain. And that's what causes um, a stammer. Right, so we know that now, but we didn't know that um, 75 years ago when uh, King George VI suffered from a stammer. Question seven is, was the stammer caused by something that happened in George's childhood? Here's the answer. So the king would have been born with a neural propensity to stammer. It wasn't caused by some deep-rooted psychological problem. So there you go. The answer was he wasn't... Uh, so his stammer wasn't caused by a deep-rooted psychological problem. If something's deep-rooted, it means the roots or the origins of that problem go very deep. Just in the way that uh, we, we use the word roots to describe the parts of a tree which go under the ground. They go deep under the ground. Those are the roots. And you can also describe the roots of a problem, meaning the origins of that problem. And if, if a problem is deep-rooted, it means that the origins of that problem go very, very deep. So he could be talking about um, some kind of moment of trauma during childhood, which would then um, uh, manifest itself as a speech impediment. So he's saying that that's not the case, that George VI would have been born uh, with uh, a physical defect in his brain, um, which then caused him to have uh, speech problems. Okay, so the answer is no, it, uh, it wasn't caused by something that happened in his childhood. He would have been born with the problem. Uh, okay, so uh, question eight is, how did his family and staff deal with George's stammer? Here's the answer. And when he was a child, um, stammering was thought to be a defect. Uh, so the future king was corrected and even punished by his family and staff. So he was corrected and even punished. So if you're corrected, they, you know, if he tried to stammer, if he tried to speak and stammered, they would then say something. No, no, it's don't say it like that. Don't be, don't be stupid. You know, they were very tough and harsh and strict with him because they thought that the stammer was a defect. A defect is like um, 
you know, like a mis- like a, something that's not working properly. Um, they considered it basically in a negative way. They thought that there, there was something wrong with the boy. Um, they they weren't particularly sympathetic about it. So uh, they would have, um, yeah, been very harsh and strict when he stammered, um, which would have caused him lots of problems. So that's that's the next question. How did this make him feel? Well, we can probably guess the answer to that one, but here it is. Which made him very self-conscious and tense about speaking, and that surely would just made him, have made his stammering even worse. It would have made him feel very self-conscious and tense about speaking. Now, if you're self-conscious, it means that you're very aware of yourself. You know, like, for example, when you're standing up in front of your class if you have to give a presentation and suddenly you feel like everyone is looking at you and you become really aware of yourself, uh, that's to be self-conscious. It's a very uncomfortable feeling. So he would have been very self-conscious and tense about speaking. Tense just means nervous, right? Okay, so number 10, question 10. With today's knowledge, what's the best way to help people with stammers? Here is the answer. Today, where it is available, and it's not available everywhere, early intervention allows the vast majority of those very young children at risk of persistent stammering to talk fluently for the rest of their lives. He's saying that um, now we know that early intervention is the best way of um, helping young people uh, to deal with stammers. So early intervention, to intervene, means to kind of... um, uh, come in or to uh, interrupt um, in this case to interrupt with therapy so to kind of become involved in the child's life at an early age um, and it immediately start uh, giving that child therapy in order to help them overcome the speech impediment so early intervention it would have been early intervention is now the the answer where where it's available Okay, question 11. What did George VI's therapist do, uh, which um, the interviewee's uh, uh, therapist didn't do? Okay, and here is the answer. I must say, though, that the last time I went to see a speech therapist, she didn't encourage me uh, uh, to swear. So the last time... He went to see a speech therapist. She didn't encourage him to swear. Right, so the answer is that uh, uh, George's um, therapist encouraged him to swear. To swear means to say rude words like, you know, and shh. I'm not going to say them here, uh, but rude words like the F word, for example. If you see the film, you'll know what I mean because he's encouraged, uh, the therapist encourages him to swear as a way of kind of breaking through the barrier of, of uh, st- the stammer. Um, and he, he says there in, the, in that part of the interview, he said, I must say, uh, I must say that uh, last time I went to see a speech therapist, she didn't encourage me to swear. So I must say, it's like a way of, of just saying, um, of just sort of emphasising uh, what you're about to say. Well, I must say that uh, last time I went to see a speech therapist, she didn't encourage me to swear. Um, Right, now, question 12. 
What made George the Sixth a difficult client? Why was George the Sixth a difficult client? Here you go. And that really is the main point of this film. It was how Lionel Logue found a way to form a relationship with a client whose upbringing had made him reluctant to discuss anything personal. Yep, it's the fact that uh, George had George's upbringing had made him reluctant to discuss anything personal. So because of the way he was brought up, because of the way he was raised by his parents or by his uh, staff as a member of the royal family, he was reluctant, meaning he didn't really want to uh, talk about anything personal. And that made it difficult for the therapist, uh, Lionel Lowe, to, um, to kind of develop a relationship with him. Now, uh, question number 13. What will the King's Speech do for stammerers and non-stammerers? Here's the answer, ladies and gentlemen. The King's Speech will give stammerers and non-stammerers a kind of a permission to talk to each other. It will be the greatest opportunity I've ever seen for this often embarrassing subject to be discussed openly and on such a broad scale. So it'll give people the permission to talk about stammering, um, which is important, as we've already discussed. Um, so it'll, um, it'll give, permission, give people permission to talk to each other. And he goes on to say, for all our sakes, please grasp it with both hands and talk about it. So to grasp something with both hands means to grab it, take it with both hands. So he's talking about use this opportunity which has been given to us by the King's Speech uh, to kind of um, easily talk about the subject of stammering and, um, and the fact that it's an important subject and affects lots of people's lives. Use this opportunity, um, grasp it with both hands and talk about it. So for all our sakes, please grasp it with both hands, talk about it. And finally, question 14, what is the danger about the near future okay what's the danger about the near future here's the answer but remember that the opportunity will only last for a short while after that there is a danger that stammering will slip back into being inaudible and invisible he said the danger is that uh, after a while um, this opportunity to talk about stammering will slip back uh, and become inaudible and invisible. So it'll slip back, means meaning it'll sort of slip away from the uh, the public eye. It won't be such an issue anymore because um, kind of the, the the release of this movie won't be news. So it'll slip back um, and it'll become inaudible. If something's inaudible, it means you can't hear it, and invisible means you can't see it. So as an issue, stammering will just kind of leave the public domain uh the public sphere and people will just stop talking about it that's the worry we don't want that to happen so if you feel you'd like to help please stay tuned so if you feel you'd like to help please stay tuned stay tuned just means keep listening um keep listening to uh the subject right um in fact really it means stay tuned to um, this man's uh, YouTube uh, page, his his uh, his YouTube ID is speaking out too. 
Um, so, like you said, if you do want to help, then you can kind of find out more information about the British Stammering Association. Um, now, if you live outside the UK and you want some advice about stammering or stuttering, or you simply want to learn more, then you can go to www.stammering.org. So that's www.stammering.org. Um, and you can find out lots of information there. Um, it's a very worthwhile charity, so I'm sure that uh, uh, if anyone was to find out more information about that and talk about it to people around the world, that would be a very good thing, wouldn't it? Okay, so that's the end of that interview. Now, I realise time is, is passing. Um, now, let's see. I'm going to teach you some phrases. Now, uh, I've, I've looked in... I've looked in the dictionary, I've, I've kind of thought about uh, useful phrases and expressions, and I've collected together a bunch of uh, good idioms and phrases, which we uh, often use, and they are all, they all contain, uh, first of all, they all contain the word mouth. So obviously you know where your mouth is, it's on your face. It's that big hole at the bottom of your face that you use to breathe, drink, eat and talk and a few other things, but we won't talk about those things now. Um, so I've, uh, there are loads of um, like common idioms that uh, we use in English every day, um, and they, they involve the word mouth. So let me go through some of those with you, and I'll explain them uh, to you as, as we go. So first one is, uh, me and my big mouth. Come, me and my big mouth. Me and my big mouth. So you'd say that if you've said something that you shouldn't have said. It's like, oh, God, me and my big mouth. Oh. So it could be, let's imagine, for example, um, your friends are organising a surprise party for your other friend, John. right? And they tell you, hey, Luke, uh, we're organising a surprise party for John. OK, it's going to be on Saturday. Don't tell John. OK, and you go, oh, great, a surprise party. OK, brilliant. And you get excited. Then John comes in. You go, hey, John, I, can't, I bet you can't wait for the party. And John goes, what party? What are you talking about? And you go, oh, oh God, me and my big mouth. Ooh. Right? Okay. So it's when you say something uh, that you shouldn't have said. Um, right. Now, another one is to be born with a silver spoon in your mouth. To be born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Right? So... Um, yeah, he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. If you're born with a silver spoon in your mouth, it means that you're born into a kind of rich family or you're born into a privileged family. If you can imagine uh, the first spoon that, you, that your uh, parents used to feed you, if that's silver, that means obviously that your, your family is rich. So as a baby, you were born into a rich family. So obviously, like any king as a prince, was born in, with a silver spoon in his mouth, born into a rich family full of privilege. So uh, King George VI would have been born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Not that that actually made life any easier for him. Obviously, he had uh, plenty of problems. But nevertheless, he was born into a rich family full of privilege. So he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Right Now, um, uh, let's see. Uh, to... Yeah, here's another one. 
don't, well, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, right? Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. So that would be like, okay, someone, like, let's say your uncle says, uh, your uncle says to you, hey, um, hey, Luke, um, do you want, do you want my car? You know, I'm not using it anymore. Why don't you have the car? And you're thinking to yourself, oh, God, I don't want this car because, um, it's a total wreck. Uh, it uses loads of fuel. Um, it's really like a really bad quality car. But then you, but then you think, oh well, I shouldn't look a gift horse in the mouth. I should just accept it because you know it's worth something. It's like worth a few thousand pounds, and I could use it to like drive to the supermarket. So you shouldn't look a gift horse in the mouth. Basically, it just means that you shouldn't. Um, if you're given a gift, or if you're given something for free, you shouldn't. Um, question it too much like if someone's offering to give you something for free you shouldn't say oh well no i'm not sure about the quality of that you, you shouldn't check the quality of it or complain about the quality of it you should just accept it as a gift um, and it comes from the times when uh, people had horses a lot in this country and it, it a way of checking the health or quality of a horse would be to check its teeth so you look in its mouth to check if it's good. So if you can imagine purchasing a horse, the first thing you do would be to check its teeth to see if it's good. Now, if someone gave you a horse for free, you wouldn't, before you accepted it, you wouldn't look in its mouth to check that it was a good quality horse. You'd just say, oh, thanks very much for the horse. I'd gladly accept it. Thank you. So it comes from that idea. If someone's offering you something free, you shouldn't really kind of examine it carefully for its quality you should just accept it as a free gift so don't look a gift horse in the mouth don't oops don't look a gift horse in the mouth right um so another one is to live from hand to mouth if you're living from hand to mouth it means you're literally just surviving on a day-to-day -day basis so for example if you know the money that you make you just sort of spend that money immediately just to survive, then you're living from hand to mouth. It could be used to refer to, um, let's say, people who are living in poverty. Um, it just means that they, they spend any money they have immediately on like basic needs such as food without being able to save any money. So the idea is that you're not able to save any money. Like, for example, you could say, there's no way we can even think about travelling to Europe this year as we are literally living from hand to mouth, um, a hand to mouth existence. You can imagine kind of like um, as a farmer, you might live from hand to mouth if you grow some food and literally pick the food out of the ground and, and f transfer it from your hand to your mouth. So you're living from hand to mouth. You're just living on the money you have without being able to save anything, you're living from hand to mouth, okay? Um, another one is melt in your mouth, melt in your mouth. So if something melts in your mouth, uh, to melt, that's what ice does when it becomes water, right? Um, so if something melts in your mouth, um, You'd say you'd use that expression to describe food, which is very, which is soft and very good to eat. So you might say, "Oh, in this this restaurant, it's fantastic! They serve steaks that just melt in your mouth, right?" So obviously that's like a really delicious tender steak because in it, it just melts in your mouth. You can imagine a kind of 
soft, juicy, tender steak that just, it almost becomes like a kind of liquid when it goes in your mouth, it melts in your mouth. Um, so it melts in your mouth, right? Um, okay, next one is put your money where your mouth is. Put your money where your mouth is. So you'd tell someone to put their money where their mouth is. If, for example, they're, they're, they're talking about something uh, that they think, um, let's say, uh, hmm. <laughs> um, okay, let's say if you think that uh, Manchester United are going to win the game, you would say, okay, put your money where your mouth is. That means kind of like bet, make a bet on it. Um, so basically it means to show that you really mean what you say by actually doing something or giving money rather than just talking about it. For example, the government talks about helping disabled people but, but doesn't put its money where its mouth is. So the government talks about helping disabled people but it never actually does anything to help them. So you might say to a politician, come on, if you, say, if you really believe what you say about wanting to help disabled people, put your money where your mouth is and do something about it. Okay, so that's to put your money where your mouth is. Put your money, put your money where your mouth is and do something. Don't just talk about it, actually do it. Put your money where your mouth is. Right? Um, let's see. Um, then, of course, you've got shut your mouth. Shut your mouth, which is like shut up. Shut your mouth. Or you can say keep your mouth shut, mean, meaning um, don't say anything. Right? Obviously, a little bit rude. Shut your mouth. Keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut, you. Shut it. Shut up. Keep your mouth, keep your mouth shut. Right? Shut your mouth. Right? Um, right. So... Um, Here's another one, to leave a bad taste in your mouth. To leave a bad taste in your mouth. So if something leaves a bad taste in your mouth, then um, it, first of all, it could be used to describe food. So if, you've eat, if you eat some food uh, which tastes really bad, um, you'd say that it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. The, the, the bad taste stays in your mouth, right? So... Um, if something leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Um, so that's for food, but also we can, we can use leave a bad taste in your mouth to describe how you feel after an experience. So you could say, oh, it, it, that, that, really, uh, that really left a bad taste in my mouth. So, for example, the idea that the money had been stolen from her sick mother left a nasty taste in the mouth. Um, when you see someone being treated so unkindly, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Or, for example, you could say, um, you know, when I, you know, that argument left a really bad taste in my mouth. So an experience that kind of makes you feel bad afterwards. It leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Um, okay. Um, another one is watch your tongue. Watch your tongue or watch your mouth. Watch your tongue or watch your mouth. And that means be careful what you're saying. Watch your tongue, you. Don't, you know, you've got to be careful what you're saying around here because um, people are listening. So watch your mouth. Don't say anything you shouldn't say. Watch your mouth. Um, another one is by word of mouth. Word of mouth. By word of mouth. Um, so, for example, the, the popularity of this movie really spread by word of mouth. 
So if something spreads by word of mouth, it just means that people are telling each other. Um, it's spread by word of mouth. It just means that people are telling each other rather than reading about it in publicity or reading about it in the newspaper. They're just telling each other. Um, so, for example, popularity of uh, the King's Speech really spread by word of mouth because everyone who saw it would then tell their friends and they would tell their friends and it really spread by word of mouth. Okay? Um, you can put words into somebody's mouth. There's another one. Um, you know, don't put words in my mouth or you're putting words in my mouth. I didn't say that. If you put words in someone's mouth, it means that you're kind of suggesting that someone has said something that they didn't really say. So it would be like um, someone saying, um, you know, you're putting words in my mouth. I didn't really mean that. I didn't mean to say that. Um, yeah, so to put words in someone's mouth. Um, okay, that's it for the word mouth. Let's move on to the word tongue. Obviously, you know the word tongue. That's the muscle in your mouth, which you use it to make different sounds. Let's have a few tongue expressions. T-O-N-G-U-E. Uh, I'm finding it in the dictionary, ladies and gentlemen. T-O-N-G-U-E, yeah. Right, so bite your tongue. To bite your tongue means to like stop saying something. Uh, you know, I really bit my tongue, meaning um, I stopped saying something. Um, I had to bite my tongue to stop saying it. You know, like maybe in the in the in the wedding. You know, in a wedding ceremony, there's always that moment where the priest says, "If anyone here um, wishes to to say anything uh, or to, what does he say? Something like, if anyone here has." Something they wish to say before the marriage vows take place, then this is your opportunity to say it. And he'd say, when he said that, I really had to bite my tongue. Uh, I didn't want to say anything about the fact that he, re he didn't really love her. So I had to bite my tongue. So it's when you prevent yourself from saying something, bite your tongue. Uh, another one is, what's the matter? Has the cat got your tongue? What's the matter? Cat got your tongue. Has the cat got your tongue? That means, basically, if someone suddenly isn't able to say anything, if someone suddenly is quiet, for example, like during an, an argument, someone suddenly doesn't say anything. You say, what's the matter, huh? Cat got your tongue. So it's like a way of saying, why aren't you saying anything? Why are you being so quiet? Has the cat stolen your tongue? Pretty stupid expression, really. But people do say it quite a lot. Um, uh, let's see. Your mother tongue... Obviously, your mother tongue means your first language. Um, so, like, you know, Spanish is her mother tongue. Uh, English is his mother tongue. Um, and uh, another one is um, probably the, the final one for this episode is when you say, when you can't remember the word or you're trying to remember something, but you can't quite remember it, it's on the tip of my tongue. It's on, If there's something you, you're trying to remember, it's like, what's that word? Ah, oh, I can't remember. It's... Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Uh. So when you can't remember something, you can say, oh, it's, uh, it's, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Quite a good expression for learners of English, that. Whenever you can't remember a word, you'd say, oh, oh what's that word? It's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, but you have to remember the expression on the tip of my tongue. So I guess maybe it doesn't really help you that much. But it's a good expression. People do say it quite a lot. Right. So that's it. That's 55 
minutes, over 55 minutes of podcast action for you, ladies and gentlemen. Um, thanks for listening. I hope that's been useful. And you can look forward to the next episode, which is going to be about another movie called 127 Hours. So you can look forward to that. Thanks again for listening. And thank you very much if you've donated recently. I appreciate it very much. You're making this podcast happen. All the best to you, ladies and gentlemen. Have a very nice day, morning, night, evening, lunch, dinner, breakfast, uh, whatever you're doing, wherever you are. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening all the way to the end of this episode of Luke's English Podcast. If you have listened all the way through, then you're a fantastic, wonderful and extremely brilliant person. Well done, you. www.teacherluke.co.uk/slash/premium/info. Luke's English Podcast Premium. Go to teacherluke.co.uk/slash/premium/info.